Thank you, Brent and Jennifer. Can we take a moment and pray as we acknowledge the season of Advent? Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful reminder, this wonderful time of year, and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we wait for the unfolding of these weeks, we anticipate the coming of Christ again in our world, in our lives, in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that this season would be one that reminds us deeply of the hope that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, thank you. It's time for the youth to uh, go on to their class and uh, go from there. By the way, how do you like the platform this morning? How do you like the stage? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Those of you online, hope you can see it. Uh, thanks to Rose Gertz. This is her vision, and this is her you know, talent coming to the forefront. And thanks to Paul Gertz, uh, Scott and Marianne Rowe, uh, Joanne Hagland. Uh, did I miss anybody? Because they were your helpers for getting this, this up and going. So this is really exciting. I just love this, and it's a wonderful time of year. Can we say that? Amen. It's a wonderful time of year. Most most Mo- oh, most wonderful. <laughs> okay, forgive me. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That was last year's series, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and by the way, you know, before I get into content this morning, thank you very, very much. I've been overwhelmed this week by the number of text messages and emails that everybody has sent about the Messy Life series. I've just been so encouraged that that 10-part series just really touched many of you, and thank you for all the kind notes, and just, uh, it it makes me want to do this again every week, week in and week out, so thank you very much for your grace and a lot of the wonderful things that uh, you had communicated over that series. But here we are, Advent, and we're starting this brand new series called Holiday Hope. Now, I'm going to ask you for a few minutes to use your imagination because I'm going to take you on a journey back in time as we start this morning, okay? So I want you to imagine the picture I'm going to paint for you, okay? We're going to take you back to Europe, and it's the mid-1500s. Now, in Europe in the mid-1500s, what was prevalent at that time was plague and disease. It was a terrible time in Europe. And what, what was being fostered during that time, apart from the religion that people were embracing, was horoscopes and the occult. People were reaching for things to try and manage the difficulties of the season. And one man during that time was a doctor, and he would give these herbal remedies and medicines to help as many people as possible. And in fact, he grew in notoriety because of his ability to use this medicine, this herbal medicine, to help people at least feel better with what is happening in the world around him. But a tragedy struck for this particular person when his wife and his children 
died. And he was devastated. He was so devastated, in fact, that he walked away from being a doctor. And he no longer helped people in a physical way to alleviate their struggles. And instead, he himself turned to the occult. And in fact, he dictated 942 visions of the future. And those visions of the future went beyond 2,000 years. And in fact, many of his prophecies are still being touted today. And his name is Nostradamus. Now, Nostradamus was supposedly able to predict, um, you know, the assassination of Kennedy, uh, the rise of Hitler, 9-11, and all of these predictions, even to this very day, there are Nostradamus predictions for 2023. But did you know that Nostradamus, during these predictions, was high on nutmeg? <laughs> little, little tidbit of information that uh, nutmeg in huge quantities will, will bring hallucinations, okay? Now, that's just a tidbit of information. That's not your plan for the weekend, okay? <laughs> can, we, can we just make that clear, all right? Okay, that's... <laughs> How many of you knew even nutmeg? That's why we said this. That's why I saved this illustration for after Thanksgiving, okay? Now, <laughs> now if, you, if you look... The 2023, there are actually predictions by Nostradamus about 2023. Now, here's, here's, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to tell you what they are. Here's why. Because they're depressing. They're sad. They're without any meaningful hope. In fact, um, it would only feel like it's the media all over again. Okay? He predicts things that aren't very good. And here's, here's the reality of predictions like this. It'll only make you feel more helpless. Because much of what Nostradamus predicts for 2023 is beyond our capacity to really change. There are world events, there are global events, there are events in the hands of people who have control of these situations or supposed control of these situations that doesn't fare well for the rest of us. And that's a reality about life, that anything that we feel we are helpless towards eventually will make us feel hopeless, okay? Unless 
our hope is built on something different. Okay? So, thousands of years, you know, centuries before Nostradamus ever started his predictions, there were other prophets that we've heard a little bit about from this morning who had a whole different message to communicate, one that was filled with much different intention and purpose behind it. And I want to take you back to a couple of these prophets. Number one is Jeremiah 23, 5. And we've heard this, actually, we've heard portions of this passage twice already this morning. But I want to remind you that hundreds of years before Nostradamus, we have these predictions from biblical prophets. And Jeremiah writes this in 23, 5, 6 to 8. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. We've heard that a number of times. And I have another prophet is Isaiah, and I want to read out of Isaiah 11 to 1, because it's kind of in tandem to what Jeremiah was saying. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Remember last week when we did the final uh, series on um, um, the messy life? And Jesus went into the synagogue, and the first thing that he quotes is Isaiah 61, said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Okay? So the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. For these prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah, they, they, they paint a different future. They paint a totally different future. Isaiah announces the coming of another David, uh, this new branch. And by the way, the word branch in Greek is built, is actually comes and is related to the Hebrew word for Nazareth. Isn't that cool? And Nazareth is the boyhood home of Jesus. So these prophecies from these biblical writers uh, may intersect with the affairs of the world, but point to a greater hope and a greater promise. In fact, when it comes to the, you know, the predictions of Nostradamus, and you know, there have been prophets galore throughout history who just predict, predict 
world events and things that are going to come, whether, whether they, they, you know, come in full fulfillment or partial fulfillment or if, if they're lucky to just nail even remotely close situations that are going to come, there's one thing that a lot of these prophets don't do. And here's what's really important between the biblical prophets and the prophets of the world. The prophets of the world cannot talk about the character of the people that are going to allow these prophecies to unfold. Do you notice with Jeremiah and with Isaiah, it talks about the character of the person that is coming. This is really important. Your reputation might be, when we talk about character, your reputation, your reputation might be what people think of you, but your character is who you are. Um, reputations can come and go, but your character is who you are. And there's lots of ways of defining character. Character is who you are when nobody's looking, you have to make an important decision, or you could do something that you could easily get away with. But your character is everything, and yet we live in a world that, you know, doesn't give character the worth that it should. Look at the character qualities. We've got the screen up already here, but look at the character qualities that come out of this particular passage in Isaiah, especially. That he's righteous, spirit-empowered, has knowledge, has understanding, has wisdom, fears the Lord, a man of counsel, of power and of truth. I want you to name me one person, humanly speaking, who has all those qualities. I'm waiting. This is the heart of Jesus. Let me tell you, there are those of you in this room that can attest to this as, as a truth. That when it comes to your biggest regrets, it's probably related to some failure in character. When it comes to the pain that you've experienced in your life from others, relationally, whatever, it is bound to be related to a failure in character. The biggest hurts that we have is often because of a failure in character. This is where we struggle even when we have leaders. Uh, it could be leaders in the church, leaders politically. Um, we could, you know, put the categories of a leader in all kinds of different things. But how many of us have been disappointed in a leader who failed us, maybe not in what they've been able to accomplish, but have failed us because of character. They come into power and they come with, you know, all kinds of promises, all kinds of hope. And yet, when that, when that power consumes them or when they become cavalier or when they see the opportunity for themselves and it becomes a leadership of self-service, becomes a leadership of narcissism, becomes a leadership of grabbing power, becomes a leadership of hurting other people. 
And whenever we have people who want to power grab or be narcissistic or any of those kinds of things, that is always a failure in character. And yet, as we come here this morning, we are reminded by the prophets Jeremiah, Isaiah, of not only what the Messiah is going to accomplish when he comes, but that he is the character of God and that we can trust in him. See, that's the beautiful thing about character. When we have someone of character, it automatically allows the connection of trust in a really powerful way. It automatically allows us to be vulnerable. Already allows us to... um, you know, surrender ourselves. I have no problem, personally, I have no problem surrendering to Jesus first and foremost because of his character. How many of us are afraid to surrender to somebody else because you doubt maybe that vulnerability to the other person is going to expose us to more hurt? How many of us are afraid to trust in another person because you have a question about their character and you're afraid that they might exploit you or hurt you, and you just have that feeling. See, that's the beautiful thing about faith in Jesus Christ. His character is so beautiful. His character is so filled with integrity. His character is such that we can be fully honest, we can fully surrender, we can you know, fully accept him in our lives and know that whatever our lives have as hurts, weaknesses, trauma, as, as you know, things that, that are our deepest, darkest secrets, that we can surrender those to Jesus and Jesus will take those and hide them and honor them and love us no matter what. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful thing about character? Isn't that the beautiful thing about character? Isn't that where love breaks down sometimes? Is character issues that, that rise up and suddenly you're not trusting of that person as much as you want to be, or sometimes there's doubt, or sometimes you're you're unwilling to give even more love because the love that you've given has not been returned. Isn't isn't that the tension that we hold in our lives when it comes to relationships with others? That any, any question mark about our character always becomes a barrier or a wall to deepen the relationship with another person. And yet with Jesus, we don't have any of that at all because his character is consistent. His character is God incarnate. That when Jesus says he loves you, it's not a lie. It's not a fabrication. It's not something to get you interested in him. It's not something to make you feel good. 
It's not something to sort of encourage you for the day. It's not something that, you know, um, you just, you know, this is, this is your, you know, timely reminder of anything like that. But Jesus says, in the full face of his character, when he says he loves you, he loves you. In all the brokenness, in all the hurt, in all the weaknesses, in all the deficiencies, <laughs> in all the humanness that you have, Jesus loves you. I don't know about you, but, you know, I think it's beautiful as we come to the Christmas season and we remember the beautiful incarnation of the second person of the Trinity as a baby in a manger that those predictions from the prophets is such a beautiful expression of the gift of God to the world. But can we not forget that the miracle of the incarnation is beautiful in and of itself, but what is even more beautiful is that the baby in the manger has these characteristics that will never fail us, that will never forsake us, that we can wholly surrender to, and it's safe in the hands of Jesus. See, some of you haven't surrendered fully to Jesus yet because you doubt the fact that whatever you surrender to Jesus, you're safe with. And yet the truth is, because of the character of Jesus, whatever you surrender to him is absolutely safe. That you can pray in repentance, that you can pray in sorrow, that you can pray the hurt, that you can pray the, the weakness and the deficiencies. And Jesus says, I will make you something more than you are. And I will love you despite who you are. And I will redeem you. And I will forgive you. Why? Because I am Jesus. These beautiful qualities that Jesus has. You see, with Jesus, I never feel helpless. Because there's truth in Jesus. There's power in Jesus that he is trustworthy, he is reliable, that his love endures forever, that his grace is ever-present, that all these beautiful things about his character is, is you know, striking in its contrast. Here's, here is Jesus' ultimate power, and yes, has at the same time incredible humility. I challenge you, I challenge you to name one person in this world that has incredible power and yet has the humility of Jesus. Character is so important, it's, you know, we even recognize it as a necessity for us to trust another individual. And the trust is an essential prerequisite for all meaningful relationships. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus, is that we can wholly surrender to him and trust him. Because his love 
endures forever. I love what Dorothy Sayers wrote a long time ago in 1946. Here's a quote from her. She's writing a letter to a friend, and they're communicating back and forth, and she nails this, this part of it. You are quite right in thinking that for Christians, the emphasis is not primarily on the teaching, but on the person of Christ. That does not mean that the teaching is unimportant, but it is important because he is who he is and not the other way around. Okay? You know, next week we're going to celebrate communion. And that's a beautiful thing about communion as well, is that the disciples are gathered around Jesus and they're celebrating the Passover meal. This meal of liberation and how God did miraculous things to pull the nation of Israel out of bondage of Egypt and take them out of there into a land of their own, a land of, of you know, flowing with milk and honey, a land and, and a nation that, you know, in its infancy, you know, was born out of the miraculous hand of God. And that's the, the Exodus is the salvation event for the Jewish people. That's the way they think of it. It is a time where the hand of God was demonstrated the most. And as Jesus is in with the disciples and they're celebrating this communion meal, Jesus takes the entire story of the Exodus and he points it to himself. And he says, this bread that you now take represents my body. This cup that we're drinking together is the cup of redemption is now rep rep representing the blood that I'm about to shed. And you see, we can celebrate those truths because of who Jesus is. When we think of so many other times that Jesus called these young men to follow him, and they would, they would talk about the law, they would talk about you know, religion, they would talk about their Jewish um, background, and Jesus would say, follow me. That Jesus personified the entire Torah. That not, you know, he came to fulfill the law. No one could do that unless they had the character of Jesus. You see, we love the fact, and, and as evangelicals and as Christians, we love the fact that that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate. He is all these wonderful theological things. But on top of that, let's not forget that he is the character of God himself. That we can fully surrender to Jesus. That we can fully be vulnerable to Jesus that we can fully trust him because his character is one that he will never hurt us, never forsake us, never leave us empty or without hope. And that's what I want to just close us out with this morning is that the character 
of Jesus is what secures our hope. That hope is, for the believer, something that we never, ever, ever are without. Never. Our hope is not rooted in the unfolding of human events, but in the character of Christ. And as we enter the month in which we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus, let's, let's practice as much to be like Him as we can. Because when we try to emulate the character of Christ, the world becomes a better place. Can we just admit that? And when we emulate the character of Christ, and this is, this is the last point I want to make. I love the character of Christ, but not only that, but when we become believers, when we wholly surrender to him, when we become followers of Jesus, it's not the miracles that we should be looking to replicate. Because if the Spirit of God wants to, you know, you know again, this is a theological argument, Okay. But if the Spirit of God wants to give us the power and ability to do things like heal or something like that, that's the Spirit of God's business. But what is true for everybody who claims faith in Jesus Christ is that we are to emulate the character of Christ. And if we can emulate the character of Christ in a powerful way, it will change the world. And not just, and I'm not just talking about the world out there, but I'm talking the intimate world that you live in. It'll make a difference for your spouse. It'll make a difference to your kids. It'll make a difference to all your other relationships and relatives. It'll make a difference at your work. It'll make a difference in our city. It'll make a difference in our world. And it'll make a difference that nothing in this world can stop because one man, the character of Jesus, changed the world. Imagine when millions of followers emulating that character, imagine what difference they can make or we can make. Merry Christmas. <laughs> that, is that your first Merry Christmas? Yes. Okay. Merry Christmas. May we live with hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the words of the prophets that remind us of the beautiful person of Jesus Christ. That his character is something that we sometimes just take for granted. And yet, because of his character, he speaks truth. So when he says that he will never leave us or forsake us, we can take that as truth. That he will forgive us, we can take that as truth. That there's a home for us in eternity with him because... It's the truth of his character. There are so many promises, Lord, that we can depend and rely on and be confident in because 
of the character of Jesus. So Lord, allow us to recognize the hope that this season initiates and to live it to the fullness of the character of Jesus as best as we can. And in his name we ask it. Amen.